Happy Dad is available at a lot of your local bars and restaurants. You might even find it at some saloons. If you've enjoyed a Happy Dad, then you know it goes well with your burger, your wings, pizza, and steak. <laughs> People in California eat it with their sushi, too. Go to happydad.com slash find to find a bar or restaurant near you so you can watch the games with the boys while enjoying an ice-cold daddy drink. The ladies love it as well. If your bar doesn't carry Happy Dad, then ask them to call their distributor to stock up. You can't have a burger with that skinny can, can you? It's time to man up and drink Happy Dad. Welcome to the QB Room presented by Happy Dad. Special guest today, uh, second time guest. That means you're a roomie. Um, my older brother, Carson Palmer. Thanks for coming on, dude. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks for jumping on, dude. I, th- I heard you guys had a uh, a duel at SoFi last night, and uh, no, 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 we don't. We don't have a bunch. We don't have enough time to get into that. Right well, now. I just not really I'm, much of a competition. Yeah. Um, just just to surmise, um, I got asked to play in, in this flag football game Jordan had kind of put together. He had stacked his team with a bunch of NFL players, and We're I off had to a poor start in terms of accuracy. Go ahead, though. I had a handful. I had a couple guys that, that played in the league and then a bunch of first-time players, and we dug deep, and we found a way to win. Uh, it was completely rigged, and we <laughs> – you know what? We we beat the odds. We brought home the championship, and I'm just really proud of our group because we, um, you know, a, a bunch of outliers against a bunch of guys. You know, Deshaun Jackson and T.J. Hushmanzada, and mm. you can go on and on and on down the list. That Carson had no neighbors like Terrell Owens. Dude, he left at halftime. He did leave. And so did, well, and so did he showed up ten minutes receiver. late and then left at halftime. Yeah. And then left at halftime. So, <laughs> you know, I'm just really proud of our group. Uh, we absolutely outkicked our coverage and brought home the championship. So I'm just, I'm just really happy. I'm sore, but I'm really happy and proud of our group. Yeah, I heard uh, Jordan. You had a chance to win the game at the end, and you just, just underthrew the game-winning touchdown. You know, I've got a lot. It of was one of those deals. We drove down. It's a tie game, and I got Deshaun Jackson. And before the game, and I used to throw with him in the off season, so I'm, I'm familiar. Did you ever, you guys ever throw with Deshaun Jackson? You were college uh, no. dollars? No, I'm not cool enough. Good name. He was like one of those guys. You know what I mean? It was like, it's a little different when you throw like for me, not maybe not cars, but like for me, it's a throw this one as far as you can kind of deal uh, and and take a real quick hitch. Cause it's like, he just, he's like, he is faster than everybody else. Um, And so before I was like, what kind of shape are you? Cause I had Clinton Portis and, and TJ, you know, I I'd throw TJ all the time, but like some guys where I'm like, so what kind of shape you in, you know? And, Deshaun's like uh, uh, a little bit. I haven't been running much, but like I can go a little bit. I'm like, so if you go, am I throwing this thing as far as I can? No, nah, no, nah, it's cool. And so he catches some balls. He does some stuff. And then I, I got two deep safeties. I got Mookie Betts on the left, who I'm curious, Carson, Mookie Betts. I, I don't follow baseball. I know who he is, but I don't know. I was blown away by the athleticism. And then telling people about that, everyone, apparently everyone knows that guy's like one of the best athletes in the yeah. world and can play any sport. It looked like it last night, but I got Mookie Betts at safety on the left, and I got Ryan Lochte, the uh, the swimmer, on the right. <laughs> I go, Deshaun, line up on the left and run that back pile on as fast as you can. I'm going to throw as far as I can. And I do, and right when I let it go, I'm like, crap, I overthrew him. And then sure enough, he slows down, he backpedals, and he reaches down low, and it gets broken up. And had I hit that, it might have been, of course, might have been singing a different tune. But, yeah, it was a celebrity flag football deal. It was at SoFi Stadium. Super, what like, from a production standpoint, it was like, I don't know, as big as you can make a flag football game. Uh, and it was a blast. But um, sometimes, you know, bad things happen to good people, and that's what happened to me last night. So, Man, well, you, were, you were locked and loaded with that excuse. You were ready. Mm-hmm. You knew yeah, that question well, was coming. Was well, just, reading well I'm reading off the, reading off the teleprompter. Um, well, cool. Well, let's get into this. We're going to um, – I know you're nervous, so we're going to start this off with a game um, and, uh, and just talk through something that I'm sure you have very little familiarity with. And that is the world of NIL, uh, name, image, and likeness deals. Uh, so we're going to pull up, and I want you to just kind of rank them here, um, going through some of your favorites, and just 10 is the best, and one is terrible. First impressions. Can you see these on the screen? 
The cheese in bedroom, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's just let's get some feedback here. So these are nil. These are young dudes, college dudes, which is crazy that they're making money. Um, but uh, nil dudes, rank this one for me. How's this one feel? Rank it from who's making the most money. Just via the execution. NIL? Is it sweet? Like, is it a good execution or not? And one is the lowest. Ten is the highest score you yes. can receive. Yes. I mean, that's a one. I wouldn't be able to fall asleep in that room. That room looks like a nightmare to me. But I love Cheez-Its, so I'm torn. That's like the room that, like, if you have, like, a friend that's super drunk in college and you, like, put them in that room so they wake up, you know, and they're like, ah, where am I? Like, uh, after a bender, like, yeah, that's one. All right, I'm with you on that one. Let's go to the next one. That's an unbelievable room. So this is a quarterback at Oklahoma named General Booty. And what's crazy about this, this is Josh's little uh, nephew. Remember Josh Booty, Abram Booty, and JD Booty? I do. So um, this kid was at J. Sarah for a minute. Um, yeah, a little underwear General collab. Booty. By the way, the five-star general tattoo to go with the name General Booty. Wow. Uh, but he did a collab for for underwear. Yeah, that looks like something you would do, Jordan. Mm. Um, so I'm sure that's a 10. And I mean, if somebody offered you $1.75, you'd probably take that deal. Um, I think most people that's going to cost at least 10 grand um so i give that i throw that as a two yeah what would it cost for you to do this carson i think that's another a good good thing to add on top of it for you to be i'd need that horse Mm. i'd need the horse if i just keep the horse i'd do it just well his daughter is like an equestrian which is like the most expensive thing in the world so that's that's actually a dollar figure right save me some money right there smart yeah uh, so let's rewind coming. back in college i knew this was coming oh you wait, See, no, I, you told you I, love beef. Beef. Yeah. I told you i love beef horses so is this just a was this just a product All deal which too? Are in hot dogs battlestar galactica <laughs> you just did a hot dog swap right here you just get a year's worth of hot dogs for this yeah this was so product give deal. Me, yeah they're gonna give me like 2500 bucks and i said just give me the ballpark franks yeah <laughs> that's what this one came down to I like it. I still, I still. Right after this, I uh, fired my marketing guy. Yeah. <laughs> do the kid? Do your kids know about this? No. And, Fletch hasn't uh, found this yet. No. And <laughs> now they know. Thank you. So let's talk some Heisman. We got Heisman coming up. You went back to the Heisman for the first time in a long time last year. Jordan was saying because Caleb won the Heisman, USC, everything. You get a Heisman vote now too. Jordan said you actually voted for him once too in college, which is. Very, very I nice. I got to vote. Appreciate it. I got to be, ones. there's, there's got to be uh third place like vote, it. not even first place. Third place vote. <laughs> we left that part out. Yeah. We, um, we didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. When I was playing in the, like the, like Georgia Southern bowl or something like that, my senior year. Uh, yeah. I got to be like one of the only guys I'm like eighth all time on the interception list for like most interceptions thrown in college football history, but also have a Heisman vote. It's like a very interesting dichotomy puts me yeah. in a category by myself and, uh, yeah, I feel really good about it. But go That's ahead, great. Kyle. Yeah, so you get you use that on your third place vote. It's probably the only time you didn't really think about it. Um, what goes into your process of using your Heisman votes? I know you probably don't watch as much football as you used to anymore. Um, this time of the year comes around. There's usually three or four top guys. Even like if you're just looking at this year of Heisman vote guys, when you're sitting down and look at it, well, how do you use your Heisman vote? Yeah, so I, I obviously am, am biased, um, you know, given Jordan a, a vote. Um, but also just I always the, – the games I watch the most of uh, are SC games. So I've been biased to the SC guys. There's been a handful of guys that um, in certain years where there, there was maybe a clear-cut one and or a clear-cut two, but you're just not quite sure on the three. So I would lean heavy on SC. And mm-hmm. um, just thinking back, I mean, Marquise Lee had a phenomenal year one year. Um, he, he got a vote. Um, I think I, I voted for Bark, Matt Barkley when he was at SC one year when he had some big numbers and I just couldn't, a lot of times it's really, it's really easy to pick your first place vote and it's yeah. really hard to kind of decide on the third one and two is always pretty, um, you know, it's pretty general. Like everybody feels like these two guys should be at the ceremony, but then there's years where you just can't decide who the two or three other guys that should get the invite to New York to go to the Heisman. And, and also get that third, fourth, fifth place vote. And so um, I always leaned on um, the SC guy because I knew more about it. And I felt like, you know, it's hard to vote for guys that you're only seeing sports center clips from because you just can't, I, I, especially when I was playing, as you guys know, on Saturdays, you're traveling. 
you know, you got walked through, you're getting ready in the NFL for your game on Sunday. So you just don't get a chance to watch a lot of college football. So when I was playing, I was always really scrambling, trying to figure out who I was going to vote for. Um, but, you know, it just kind of depends. Um, it just depends on on if there's an SC guy in the running, I'm, I'm going to be biased to that. Or if mm-hmm. one of the guys uh, that's playing college football happens to be a blood relative of mine, I'll, I'll give him a vote. That's fair. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's much easier to pick number one and two, but every year I'm kind of scrambling for my third, fourth, and fifth place votes. Do you remember who you voted last year? Besides Caleb, I voted for Caleb. Um, I actually, I think, did I do it on your show? I, I, I said in like week four that Caleb should win the Heisman that year, but just didn't think that the team was good enough that he'd have a chance. And somehow they, they found a way to win enough games last year. And, mm-hmm. and he ended up being the clear cut hands down best player in the country. Um, so uh, you know, every year is different this year. I, I I'm going to have to do a bunch of cramming. I've been traveling a bunch and haven't had a chance to watch a ton of games on Saturday. So, um, all, all as the, as the deadline gets closer and closer, I'll start kind of cramming like I have for every test and paper that was due throughout my, um, educational career and, and watch as much as I can at the end. Um, and so I, I haven't had a chance to watch a ton of college football. I've watched SC play a bunch. I still, I mean, I know Caleb's, this is probably not his year, but I still think he's the best player in the country. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it's not about just being the best player in, in, in the universe. Um, it's, it, it deals a lot. Uh, a big factor in that too is, is the team's success, and they just aren't going to have the success he needs to go back-to-back. Um, but while we're talking about him, I, I hope he comes back for a third, a third opportunity because if they can continue to develop that roster and get much better this off season, um, I just think, I think it needs, I think it should go to the best player in the country yeah. and it doesn't always go to the clear cut best player in the country. Cause some guys end up on four and eight teams, just unfortunately. I'll give you one. And I think I gave this one to you last year. It'd be the same guy that, you know, everyone, everyone right now is, is Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix, Jr., there's a couple other people that are in the mix. JJ McCarthy's in the mix. Blake Corum, the running back from Michigan's in the mix, but like remove all the odds and favorites and all that stuff. Just like, who do I think is the best football player in college football right now? It's the same guy I told you last year. It's the freaking tight end from Georgia, Brock Bowers. Oh, uh, no doubt. No doubt. <sighs> that dude. I don't draft no picks, whatever. I don't know. Like player. <laughs> That's the best player yeah. in the country. As far as I'm no, I mean, I, I really kind of end up looking at it like a GM, like, of all these guys, which guy would I, which guy do I need? Which guy can I not live without on my team? And I don't think he will be, but I mean, I, I think he should be the number one pick. I think he's the best player. If it truly was just going to go to the best player, it'd be tough to go to a tight end, but I agree. I, I think he's the best player. And, and I thought Mark Andrews, when I was watching, um, Baker Mayfield feel, film from Oklahoma. I thought mm-hmm. Mark Andrews was one of the best tight ends I'd ever see play college football. It ain't even close. The best player I've ever seen play tight end in, in college football is Bowers. I mean, from his freshman year, a couple years back, just dominating, looking like a senior in the SEC. Um, and his game has only developed. He's only gotten better. And and I, I agree. I think he should be the number. If, if I was picking and I didn't have to get a quarterback, I would take him. Uh, if if I'd already had a quarterback on my roster, I'd take him number one. Fun fact: yeah. that kid's from Napa. <laughs> it's I know. so random. I know. So random. It, they come from anywhere and everywhere. It does not matter yeah. program, coaching. It doesn't matter if you can play. They will find you. Yeah. And where's Mark Andrews from, Kyle? Scottsdale, Arizona, Desert Mountain High School. That was my ex receiver in high okay. school all four years. He was two hundred and forty five pounds. Oh, wow. Six three as a fifteen year old, and he only played soccer. I knew him since I was in like third grade and he played, <laughs> he played soccer and he was the biggest motherfucker out there. And he was so angry on the soccer field, just fighting everyone. I was like, just, I was like, just come to football. I got you. And he played X and in high school, he dominated everybody. It was just, I would just throw him up. Like I, I wasn't even throwing anybody else. And when he was getting offers to go to college, everyone was offering him as a tight end. And he was like, I'm a receiver. Like I'm not going to your school unless you offer me as a receiver. And someone, I guess, Stoops finally told him, like, hey, you're 245 pounds. Like, just put your hand in the dirt. We won't have you block the DN. We'll have you go around him. But please be a tight end and come here. And he was unbelievable. And I agree. I think he had the, one of the best seasons 
couple of seasons ever at Oklahoma. And right now, too, Jordan, you, you bring up Brock Bowers. I feel the same way about Marvin Harrison Jr. at Ohio State, too. A guy that means the most to his team, that offense runs through him. And from an Ohio State offense that used to have seven receivers and a tight end and a quarterback that was spreading around, Marvin Harrison's getting 15 touches a game, and he's scoring on half of them, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him and Brock should – I mean – if you take the quarterback position out of it, that's your first and second pick in the draft. Yeah. yeah, You want guys that come in and have an impact immediately. Those guys are starters week one, and they probably each catch, you know, six balls week one, mm-hmm. first year in the league. Yeah. Well, let's keep talking USC. Um, USC just fired their defensive coordinator. Um, I mean, we've all been part of it. I mean, our offensive coordinator just got fired today as we're recording this. So it's always – it's always an interesting situation when your coach gets fired in the middle of the year, but um, it seems like with Lincoln, it's always been great on offense and the defense has struggled to keep up um, just from an alumni. And, and you say you pay, pay more attention to USC football than, than anyone else just at the end of this year and going into next year with Caleb, maybe going to the draft. And, and I think their backup quarterback, Jordan, you probably know this better is Malachi Nelson coming up next year yeah. and maybe Caleb stays, but, where do you see USC going from here? Where do you see them taking the next step? Because I really feel like they're close, and it's like you said, they need to develop that roster a little bit more. But where do you see USC going in the next couple of years? It's concerning for sure. Um, you know, unfortunately, that that label I heard a couple of years ago when Lincoln was was just walking in the door at SC was great offenses can't stop anybody. Great offenses can't stop anybody. And I was drinking the Kool-Aid thinking, all right, this guy's, this guy's, you know, the next, the next great one. Um, and the defense has not gotten any better. Uh, the defense is, is, is slowly moved backwards and it's not just a scheme thing there. You know, there's wide open windows. There's guys in zone coverage that are totally out of their zones. You're supposed to play hook to curl. There's guys that are dropping down the middle. Um, there was different guys that, you know, if, if you've got a, a dominant pass rusher, it's every, every once in a while you want Miles Garrett to drop back into coverage, but every once in a while is maybe once or twice a game, but you mm-hmm. want that guy rushing the passer. And they're just trying to generate pass rush from anywhere they can. And unfortunately, they're, they're just getting gashed in, in yeah. while they're doing it. So the scheme obviously needed to change. Um, there was way too many easy completions. Teams would come into the Coliseum and run the ball at will. Um, so... You know, I thought the quick fix last year, you know, I was, as SC lost last year in the Pac-12 championship, I was at the game. They lost to Utah. And I remember the excitement after the game, like thinking, all right, because if you guys remember, Caleb pulled his hamstring. He yep. finished the game, but he just, once he pulled his hamstring, the, the game got away from him because he just lost that dynamic um, aspect of his game. And so I remember being, uh, you know, having rose-tinted glasses, watching that, thinking, all right, Caleb will be healthy next year. They're going to go hammer this transfer portal and bring in, you know, maybe a guy that wants out of Georgia because he can't find enough minutes. Maybe a guy out of, out of Alabama, start pulling some guys and paying guys through the NIL process. And I just don't think they hammered uh, the portal is, you know, in a way that I thought that they would. And now that I'm looking back in, in retrospect, it might be because defenders don't feel that they can go to SC and, and build on their, um, their resume and prepare themselves for the NFL because the defense has been that bad. So, you know, the, the quick fix is SC, it's LA, it's all the hype. They're going to the Big Ten. You would think they can go and get just about anybody they want, and they have, they have the equity to be able to bring guys in and find ways to, to, to compete with all the other big schools and pay them. Um, but I'm just concerned now that defenders are going, well, I'm not going to go there because they don't know how to coach fo- football on the defensive side of the ball. And it's not important to them. And the head coach is stressing the passing game and, you know, all these different schemes and things they're doing on offense. And there's not enough emphasis on defense. So I'm definitely concerned. Um, I think the easiest way to fix it is to, you know, put together a bunch of money and go out and hire the best defensive, maybe pulling somebody from the NFL, um, but getting a name and and not just a, an up and coming guy, but go and get an established defensive coordinator that has a great track record of of producing great defensive talent or coaching players uh, into the situation where they can reach their full potential. I, I just don't think that guys see USC in that light and see Coach Riley in that light. 
and it's concerning because uh, it doesn't matter how good your quarterback is now no. in in college football. It, you've got to have an offensive line if you've got a good quarterback, and also you have to have a good defense that can't you know give up thirty six points or whatever it was to Cal. Um, and so it, it's concerning. I don't think it's a quick fix. I'm not as uh, optimistic as I was last year going into this upcoming off season. Um, you know, I, I just don't think this is a quick turnaround defensively. I remember th- saying a couple of different times last year on podcasts and interviews, like just go in and, and, and hit the transfer portal and sign 11 new defenders. I don't think the, the, the depth of the portal is going to be deep enough to make this a top 20 defense. Cause you really, mm. you don't need to be a top five defense with Caleb. No. You just need to hold people sub 40 points. And I don't know that the portal is going to be deep enough. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And that the defensive players that are going to go into the portal have enough trust uh, and respect for the quality of defensive coaching at USC that, that they would expect to make that move and transition from one university into USC. So I'm, I'm not as optimistic as I was. I'm worried about it. Um, I think it starts with making sure they go out and they put some money together and find the best and biggest name defensively that they can. I think it almost needs to come from the NFL to let the incoming freshmen that they're recruiting that are defenders and then whoever else they need to go and get, and they need to replenish the linebacker room. They need to replenish Mm -hmm. the safety. They need to go in and get guys. And in order to do that, I think they need to bring, and I don't even have a name off the top of my head, but so, somebody from whoever wins the Super Bowl that's a great defensive coordinator um, or maybe an up-and-comer that people have been hearing about and and has had some success at that level to give guys the confidence that they want going to USC that they're going to get developed for the next level. Yeah, and, and I, I think it's a great point. Let's look at it from a, like a position of optimism or glass half full. Because Lincoln Riley's going, okay, maybe it's not a. Let's say he says maybe it's not a quick fix. Okay, but it has to be a quick fix. So if we're going to quick fix this, how you do it? I think Jack Del Rio. If Washington ends up cleaning house, you got a former. I think he's alumni. Uh, we both know his son Luke really well, and Jack. But like, there's a hard nose, no bullshit. Developed a ton of players, all mm-hmm. that. I, I love, I love that concept. We need to get somebody in here where I can sit in this living room and tell them, here's the money side of it, here's the playing time side of it, but here's how we're going to get you drafted high. Right. That's what you got to tell somebody in the portal. You can't tell them how awesome your locker room is or how sick your uniforms are or the great alumni or the opportunities in the alumni network. That doesn't matter when you're in the portal. It's it's money. It's playing time, because that's to your point. That's a lot of the reason that dudes are in the portal is I'm the number two running back here or I'm the I'm the third defensive end out of two. Um, But how are we going to get you drafted really high? And so if you can get a guy and let's just say Jack Del Rio is a placeholder name for now to develop that. I think one of the things that. Lincoln, it's not credit, but Lincoln hasn't been getting enough slack on. And I know this because being around, and Kyle, I think you would know this too, just us being around Sam Darnold so much and being around SC so much that it's underrated just how soft the program was when Lincoln took it over. In terms of like, it's okay, whether that's it's okay to be late or I remember it was a big deal. All of a sudden, dudes stopped wearing the black cleats with the white laces. They started letting players kind of wear whatever they wanted. Remember, like, and that I remember Willie McGinnis telling me that was pissing my, that's pissing us off. You can't change some of this mm-hmm. tradition. So some of these things, just like the looseness, and Clay was like the nicest guy, which is the problem. Well, and I, so I also... how soft that program was, and and I was talking to somebody about this the other day, a player uh, about Dan Lanning taking over Oregon, and how Oregon in year two is in the mix. They got they got they're going to be favorites in the Pac-12 championship, I think, right? But Dan Lanning took over a discipline hard nose program and he added pieces but they weren't super soft think about how many receivers and sam donald being the third pick in the draft quarterback sc's put out in the last six years and they never had a none of those seasons were they playing like winning like no you know notable football 
right? And so I think with Lincoln, there's all this excitement, but I think he took over a softer program than people realize. And so you add to the portal, that's one thing, but you still have the like foundation of your team. You played for Pete Carroll. Everything was a competition. Everything was finishing. Everything was together. You know what I mean? And it wasn't like that with Paul Hackett before. And so I think there's a little bit of grace here. There's things that got to be solved, but maybe if on the other side of it, looking at a little bit of grace for like, he had, he had more fires, I think, to put out than people realize. I, like you're in it. Is that a fair statement or am I off? No, a hundred percent. I mean, just cause you hire, you know, a great coach doesn't mean you come in and we're and win year year one. It's just, it's, it's so much more in depth than that. It takes, it takes more time now going into this year with, you know, a, a Heisman trophy quarterback, um, we had greater expectations, just yeah. plain and simple. We, we expected more. I, I, the defense was a concern last year and he stayed loyal to his guy. And that loyalty thing is big among coaches and, and I get it. But when you got the guy, you got him. When you don't got the guy, you got to move on. And, and it, nothing worse. And, and Kyle, you're going through it right now is, is moving on from a guy mid year. Yeah. I mean, that just, that just gives the other teams that you're recruiting against ammunition because now they're all using that against them. And so I, I really think a clean house uh, perspective should have been taken last year. It obviously wasn't. And now you're going to slug through the, the rest of the, the season and end up in a mediocre bowl when, you know, Lincoln's got to be laying in bed at night going, man, I should have done this last January, you know? Mm. Um, and also, you know, it's not that attractive of a job. I mean, it'd be great to go get Jack Del Rio, but Jack Del Rio's looking at all the things you just said, Jordan, and going, well, hold on, I'm not going to put my stamp of approval uh, and my reputation on the on the line to leave the NFL, go back to college, and take over a program where guys aren't guys are missing on simple zone drops. Guys are losing in man-to-man coverage. He's got to be before before Jack Del Rio, whoever it is, takes that job. They're going to sit down and watch film and look at how much work they have to do to get to where they need to get to, to be successful. And there's a lot of work to do a guy like Jack or some of these guys in the NFL. They're not looking for that kind of work. They may not have the patience either. Yeah. Yeah. Or the patience. And especially if you want to be in the NFL, if, if your goal as as an NFL coordinator is to get a head job, you want the, the, the path of least resistance to get to that, to get to that position, to be a head coach. And there's a lot of resistance. If, if they are to go after a, a big name guy and bring somebody in to completely change everything they're doing on defense, there's a lot of headaches. There's a lot of tough decisions. Um, and just, there's a lot of work. Like we're all looking for the easiest route. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I just think that that job is not real attractive. I mean, the good thing we got going for us is we're going into the big 10 and, um, which is great, and it's it's great for a number of reasons. But it also, the Big Ten's a lot better at football. I mean, you got Michigan, you got Ohio State, you got Penn State. You better State. be able to stop the run. If you're yeah, gonna you got to be tough. Yeah, you got to have to. tough, physical guys. It's not just a bunch of speed on the back end. That front seven has got to be able to rush the passer. Those defensive ends have to be able to set the set the edge, and linebackers have to fill the correct gaps in the run game. And we just haven't seen that. So. It's it's not a simple fix, and that's why I'm I'm looking at this. Unfortunately, is is a glass glass is half full, just because there is so much work to do on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Well, you said that's an easier path. A difficult path. Switching gears here is the AFC North right now. Right now, it's probably the best division in football. Um, you played what seven, eight years? You were in Cincy. Yeah, nine. Yeah, nine nine years in the AFC North. Um, so you've played at all those places that times two. Um, so right now let's just talking through instead of just very specifically what's happened here, what's happening there. We'll just talk about the AFC North, because I think I, I felt like you, and you played in three different divisions. You also played in the AFC West with the Raiders and you played in the NFC West with the Cardinals. I played in, I think four different divisions. So you, it, yeah, every team is different. Every city's different. Also every division's different. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but mm-hmm. Kyle, you've been on your third or fourth division, right? So um i don't i just feel like afc north is the one nfc east everybody knows right it's the big it's because it's huge markets right it's dallas it's new york city it's philadelphia it's washington dc afc north is the one that i don't think people outside of being fans of one of those four teams 
or playing on one of those four teams appreciate like the rivalries that exist there. But you throw on any AFC North game, even if one of those teams is having a down year and it's smash mouth physical football, it just feels a little different. I'm curious, like just memory wise, what were some of your like best takeaways from playing in the AFC North, some of those road games, some of those environments? Yeah, I mean, when, when I evaluate uh, a division like that, I, I think it stop, It starts at the top. It starts and stops at the top. And you just look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Rooney family and Bashadi in Baltimore. The ownership groups, those are two of the best or, ownership groups in all of sports, mm. not just the NFL. And you, you combine those with two of the worst ownership groups in, in Cleveland and the Bengals. And so you look at that rivalry between Pittsburgh and Baltimore. They're just, they're good year in and year out. And they focus on defense year in and year out for decades. Um, but I, I agree. I, I think it's the best, I think it's the best division right now. Um, and there's no better place to go and play a, a football game as a road opponent than Baltimore. I love the atmosphere. I love the stadium. It's a beautiful stadium. It's all brick. It's right downtown. There's a band playing, so you feel like you're still in in college. The atmosphere is electric, whether it's a one o'clock kickoff on a Sunday or it's a Sunday night, Monday night football game. It is always consistent. Same thing in, in Pittsburgh, the consistency of the fan base. It is always challenging to go and play in Pittsburgh. It is always challenging to go and play in Baltimore. Now, depending on the year and the team, it's not that hard to go and play in Cleveland, well, at least when I was there. Uh, they weren't as talented when I was there as they are today. I mean, that's one of the best defenses and just pound for pound talent-wise, one of the best teams talent-wise in the league. Um, but I, I, I think it all starts at the top. I mean, Baltimore is consistent because their owner has been consistent. And, and the transition from Ozzie Newsom, who's one of the best general managers that I ever had a chance to meet face-to-face -face and talk with, um, and you look at the Rooney family and the way that that organization runs – they're always some, they always have a chance because the organization is that good. Now you throw in Joe Burrow and Chase and T and that defense, and now you got you know Miles Garrett and that pass rush in in Cleveland. I mean those those are four premier teams. They all have quarterbacks, and I think that's the one thing you look across the league. There's a bunch of divisions that only have one or two great quarterbacks in them. And then, a, and then a couple other guys that you're not even sure who's playing that week. There's been so many weird injuries and the transition in the quarterback position from Peyton and Eli and Roethlisberger and Breeze and Brady and, you know, that group of quarterbacks that, that have come and gone. And there's this new group of, of, of Kyle and um, Patrick and all these guys. They're, they're just pound for pound aren't the great quarterbacks throughout the league in every division. But that's one of the few divisions, the AFC North, that all four quarterbacks can beat you. All four quarterbacks can flat out play. All four quarterbacks, um, other than other than Pittsburgh, uh, which which really again that's a defensive franchise. Yeah. You know, they can get away with not having to have a Lamar Jackson or a Joe Burrow. That team is built on defense and a great home field advantage. But. Um, those are four starting quarterbacks that are all, you know, all draft picks of, of or high draft picks all had um, success. You know, Kenny's the only one that hasn't had it yet. But again, they don't have to have great success at the quarterback position because they're such a fundamental defensive football team that can beat you with defense and a pick, uh, you know, a, a, a sack fumble by by T.J. Watt or a pick on defense that can you know turn into 14 points before you know it defensive points. And so I just look at that division and the quarterback play is as good as it gets throughout the league. Um, and you got two of the premier ownership groups in all of sports. Yeah. yeah it's funny, Kyle, a great story. Go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. We, he's talking about Baltimore. I thought you were going to say Pittsburgh when you were talking about how rad the place is to play. But Baltimore is interesting as, an, as a road opponent. And maybe not for everybody, but for an AFC team playing Baltimore. Right? I don't, I don't, when the Jaguars go to Baltimore, I don't know what that atmosphere is. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
Well, actually, do AFC. it's different, right? Because they hate they like in the AFC North, mm-hmm. they just hate each other, right? The fan bases makes it so fun. But I'll never forget the first game. I was backing up Carson. We're in Baltimore, and this is this is peak Ray Lewis, peak Ed Reed, Tony Siragusa, Terrell Suggs. I mean, you, you go mm. look across that defensive roster, and there's not anybody that you would want to play against on there. And you know how it is when you're warming up for the game. They announce the other team, like whatever you're throwing you're talking you're not like i'm not watching that and carson goes like hey come here and i'm and i go what and he goes stand right here and watch this and we stood right down where they got all the cheerleaders right here and you're looking at the little tunnel and the smoke and whatever and we're watching the player entrance and it was weird it was like week whatever and i'm like this isn't like a ritual thing like what are we watching and and ray lewis had his dance everybody knew it but that the first time and every time you see it but the first time that place you know they announced the first nine guys and it's it's going nuts and then they do ed reed right and it gets mm-hmm. even louder and then here comes ray lewis and they do the dance he picks up the grass and does so the thing good. and i i mean i got goosebumps right now like that was one of the coolest things <clears throat> i'd ever seen <laughs> ever ever and they and you know it's they have the planes flying over the place is going nuts i never played in baltimore and i played there every year I never played in Baltimore when they announced the offense. They only announced the defensive starters, and and the offensive guys were kind of cool with it because they're like, Hell "That's yeah. our bread and butter. That, <laughs> that's who we are." But I mean, remember Terrell? Suggs, they might Terrell score Suggs more points on... us today, anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Defense. But Terrell Suggs would put on the gladiator mask and come out with the gladiator mask, and everybody had their own deal, which. All opponents go into that stadium when Ray was there and those guys were there. And you couldn't wait for the starting intro because it was a show. Everywhere else, they just come running out of the tunnel and high-five guys. But there, it was a performance. It was something those guys worked on. And each guy had his had his own little theme. And it was it was really special. Um, and, and from an opponent's perspective, like you're saying, Jordan, it was fun to watch. It was fun to be a part of. Which also amped you up as an offensive player, seeing this hype because you wanted to go up and put you know put out forty on them um, in their own home stadium. So I, I just I always loved playing there. That was always a big rivalry um, because they were kind of fresh off that uh, two thousand and two Super Bowl, um, and just the names. I mean, it was they every year um, when I was in Cincy. Every year, Baltimore was number two in total defense, and Pittsburgh was number two, or vice versa, year in, year out. And either of those teams, it seemed for a pretty good run, represented the AFC and the AFC title game because they were that good on defense. And they had, I mean, Roethlisberger was unbelievable, and Heinz Ward and all those players were great. But man, that defense does, in, in Pittsburgh especially, does not get the recognition they deserved because. Even the unsung heroes, there's a guy named Aaron Smith that was a phenomenal defensive end. Um, You know, in Baltimore, a guy that didn't get any love that was kind of thought of as a role player, uh, Jared Jared. Johnson from Alabama. Yes, yeah. Uh, I mean, there was just guys that you were like, on other teams, that defensive tackle or that outside linebacker was kind of interchangeable. It didn't matter if somebody got hurt. They could not in Baltimore and not in Pittsburgh in those years. Those guys played week in, week out. They were absolute dogs. And I think they 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 respected, from a defensive perspective, they respected the admiration they got being a defensive player in those, in those two organizations. So when free agency came up, they took a little bit less money to stay and be a part of the Baltimore defense or be a part of the Steeler defense. And that kind of camaraderie, that kind of appreciation uh, is one of the things that, that – you know, they were able to squeeze all those great defenders under one salary cap because they got that kind of love and that kind of appreciation from their fan base and their organization. That's incredible. Yeah, it's the AFC North right now, 22 and 11. Um, You talk about, I mean, I can't even think of a defense. I'm sitting here listening to you guys talk about I'm trying to think of a defense in the league right now that you can compare something like that to, and you, you just can't. But I think of the AFC North now, and we were talking about this before. The AFC North feels like the only division in football right now that kind of has that same mentality as old football. You know, football's gotten softer, if you will, right? You can't, you know, can't hit people. We got a crazy, unnecessary roughness play on a someone. He threw a dart. The linebacker hit him when he had the ball in his hands. Fifty, like you just can't do anything on defense anymore. But when you go and you you go into Cleveland, they got Miles Garrett. And they got um, Darius Smith now, and they have all those good linebackers and the safeties. And 
And then you go to Baltimore corners. and the Denzel corners Ward, are great. Yeah. Yes. You go to Baltimore and Baltimore still has guys everywhere. The linebackers are great there. They got Rokon Smith now too. Even Cincy, like you said, Cincy is a much better defensive team now. They have a very simple scheme. Their linebackers are great. They got two great edge rushers. It just seems like that defensive forward mentality throughout the whole division is it's scary. And I don't know, you probably you've played in that division, but when you you probably were happy to go play like an NFC South team or an FC West team, you know, it's tough to play those people every week. I can't even imagine it, but um, you talk about quarterback injuries. I want to talk about injuries real quick with you because I remember watching you in Arizona when I was growing up and always remember you being a really tough quarterback, you know, and I've talked to Jordan about Jordan's told me your routine after games and how much you put into it. Um, I actually have a funny story about, about Norv. I don't know if you ever played with Norv or knew Norv Turner, but when I was playing with Norv, I remember one game I, I ran a naked and I got outside and I cut back and I, you know, it worked out. I threw one and he was like, Hey, I need to show you this clip. Like you can't be fucking doing that every game. Like watch this clip and see what happens when you cut back on a naked. And he pulled up a clip of you in Oakland rolling out to the right. I think the guy oh, overran you, you cut back through it and just destroyed your ribs i think jordan said you you punctured your lungs or something crazy that like that yeah but that clip was ingrained in my brain and i remember like two weeks later we're playing green bay the same thing we're running naked to the right dn plays way upfield somehow i pump fake and i spin and i make a miss and like in the back of my mind i'm like oh my god you're gonna get killed <laughs> and i just launch it out of bounds and everyone's like are you good like what's going on i remember watching on film the next day no one within a 10-yard radius of me. I'm just <laughs> fucking logic. So all I could think about was keeping my ribs cracked. But you you You're always welcome. Yeah, You're thank you for that. that. Yeah. I didn't take a hit at least, yeah. so that's good. But you played through a lot there of injuries. Go. I think we we talk about this a lot too. I think you know, stats are amazing, touchdowns, passing yards, but I think one of the most impressive stats is is consecutive starts. And there's a couple guys in the league. You look at Josh, Josh is the most consecutive starts in the league over the last four years. Um, when you're thinking about playing through injuries, playing through being hurt, um, recovering, I remember you had that finger one year, you were just working on that finger all year long. What's your process? What's your mentality about attacking and playing through injuries? I know we got a lot of high school quarterbacks and college quarterbacks that probably listen to this too, who, who just haven't dealt with that yet in their career. And they're going to at some point, cause it's not, if it's when you get hurt. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's totally circumstantial depending on the injury. Um, there's, you know, it's always I always looked at it as can this get worse? Whatever this issue I'm having is, if I continue to play, will it get to the point where one wrong move or wrong run, wrong hit will make me will put me out and I'll have to have surgery? There's some injuries that are just painful, mm -hmm. um, but there's some things like uh, a grade two ACL tear where you just, it's like, well, if I go out and play, there's a good chance it'll tear and then I'll have to have surgery. But there's some things that are just painful. Um, you know, uh, I tore some ligaments in, in my non-throwing hand one year and it wasn't something that was going to put me down. So we just taped it up and kept playing and do toward all shots and, and take Vicodin and deal with the pain later. Um, so it really, I think it, when, when you evaluate that as a player and as you evaluate it with your team doctor or your team physician, whoever it is, you know, how much worse can this get? And is this something that can change my career? Is this something that if it tears, I have to have a full reconstructive knee surgery and that changes your perspective on it. Um, but I'm dealing this, dealing with this with my son, who, who's a football player in eighth grade. It's, it all starts on Monday. If you play on Sunday, you've got to start on Monday. And you start hydrating on Monday for your Sunday game. Mm -hmm. Hydration, science says hydration mm -hmm. is good, not bad for you. So get hydrated. Stretching. I would I would uh, do body work, whether it was a chiropractor, deep tissue massage. Um, I would always focus on movement prep. So if I was going out to practice, I wouldn't just go out and warm up my wing and throw a couple balls, I would spend an hour doing the simple, boring, monotonous band work and stretching um, and just getting a little bit of a lather going, getting a little bit of a sweat going before you go out to perform. And there's so many guys that don't do that until it's too late or they don't start doing that until they're 28 or 30 in the league. And 
you've got to create that habits. I talk about it all the time with young guys. Like just cause you're 21 and you feel great doesn't mean you don't need to stretch and prep before practice and take care of your body on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And if you play Saturday or Sunday or Friday, whatever level of, of football you're playing, you're probably going to feel pretty good and bounce back and recover well, but it's more about the habit you're creating uh, and, and the way you're tuning your mind into it. All right, it's Monday. I've got to get in the ice bath. I've got to stretch. I've got to get on the Pilates machine and, and do a handful of exercises because you're just creating a habit and you may not need it in year one or year two or your freshman year or your junior year, but you're going to need it your senior year when you are a little bit older and you're playing against 18 and 19 year olds or you're 22 in the league. You may not need it, but you're developing habits. You're creating great habits that when you do hopefully play for a long time, they're just second nature. It's not something you need to spend a bunch of mental energy on or a bunch of time psyching yourself up to go out an hour early for practice. You're just used to it. You do it. You do it all the time. You're used to doing it. It's what your body is is asking for because it's been through it so many times and done it so many times. So I just think creating those habits early on, even with my kid who's 14, he's going to feel great after a game on Thursday and he's going to wake up Friday and be a little sore. And then by 10 a.m. he feels great. But if you can create habits at a young age and then add on them and, and add this, to, you know, add this to your toolbox and you see this guy doing this, add that. Then as, as you've created a habit, the more things you add to it, it's not getting that much harder. It just becomes a part of what you do, a, a part of who you are. And I think that is, is as important as getting in the weight room and lifting weights, as watching film, you've got to take care of your body. It's a hundred percent something that, um, I think is overlooked even in this day when there's all the, you know, TV 12 stuff and there's all this, all this now information and data you have from one of the, the best to ever play any sport. It's what he was doing. Everybody should be doing it. Not just 37 year olds or 42 year olds, 13 year olds, 16 year olds, 19, 24, whatever it is. It, it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to do anything that makes you a worse football, football player. It may not make you a better football player, but it, it's not going to make you a worse football player. And there's a chance it makes you a better football player for longer. Yeah. I always talk about with younger players, uh, the best ones that I've ever been around and seen, and you're one of them, uh, rely on their behaviors, not their talents. Right. So behaviors, habits, routines, what it processes, it's all the same word, but like <clears throat> they lean on their like behaviors, what they do with the process that they have more than their talents. Cause like Tom Brady, like you alluded to, it never at any point has he out talented anybody. He's just been out behaving everybody for like 25 years. Right. And so there you go. Um, yep. So I, I love that. And I think that's a, a great thing to note for any of the young players that are listening. Um, we'll wrap this up with uh, a little concept we have uh, called QB to QB. So last guest, and we don't know who the next guest is last guest. We had asked him a question for the next guest. So Dan Orlovsky was on last week and, um, and he's got a question, so I'll throw this question to you and then think through a question that you would have for a quarterback that comes on next week. Uh, Dan Orlovsky's question was, if you had to pick three things that a quarterback needs to play at a high level, let's say NFL, you had to pick three things that he has to have to play at a high level, what are those three things? I think the first thing is leadership. Um, and that, you know, th there's a bunch of things that are thrown in leadership. Um you know, one of those things is trust. Do your teammates trust you? Do they trust that, hey, we're down by four, there's two minutes left. Do I trust our leader that he's going to make the right play, put the ball in the right guy's hands? Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of little things that are thrown into leadership. But of the three, leadership, I think number two is toughness. And, and you talked about uh, Josh Allen's ability to play week in, week out. Um, and Jordan, you always say the best av ability of a guy is his availability. Mm -hmm. um, so leadership, toughness, and accuracy. Uh, if you've got those three things, you don't need to, you don't need to have a howitzer. You don't need to have, um, a super quick release. You don't have to be able to, you know, create outside the pocket and take off and run for 40 when you don't have to uh, be six, four. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to be six, four, two forty anymore. Um, but I think if you're accurate, you're tough. And you know where the ball's going. And part of that is it goes back to leadership and trust. Your teammates trusting that when it's cover two and the underneath coverage takes away the hook that you're going to throw the dig. You know, as long as you're accurate, 
you can time it upright and complete that dig, even if you don't have a ton of zip on the ball and a ton of velocity to throw it through a tight window. If you're accurate and the leadership that you've acquired from the group around you, a lot of that comes from film study and knowing the offense inside and out. I think all three of those um, can kind of blanket cover everything it takes to be a quarterback. Cause you don't like, like Jordan said, you don't need to be six, four. You don't need to have Lamar Jackson speed. You don't have to have Aaron Rodgers' velocity, but you can play at the highest level if you're tough, if you know how to lead a group of men and you have a group of men that trust you and you're accurate with the football. Like and part that. of that too is like, so you, you may not be able to move like Lamar Jackson, but you got to be tough enough to stand in there and throw yeah. it accurately and get rid of the ball right before you're about to get hit in the mouth. That's toughness. Um, so I think those three things would, would answer my question for Dan. Yeah. All right, we'll have a quarterback on here next week. What's a, a question we can throw at him? No prep whatsoever, huh? Just, hey, no dude, we come on the QB room. I'm not going to tell you anything <laughs> we're going to talk about, and I'm also going to ask you to have a question ready for our guests next well, week. Well, I'm that not going to treat nice. you any differently than the other um, guests. So let me just give you some context in a second here, okay? So we've had how do you beat cover zero? What's your playlist before the game? Right, I got one. Would you rather have one. fingers for toes or toes for fingers? We've had some weird ones. I got one. Um, the quarterbacks are, are whether you play at the highest level or you're coming up in peewee, Pop Warner, junior All-American football, um, there's going to be uh, – coaching is great at, a, at all levels, some better than others. But they're – in my experience – it, from the NFL on throughout my whole career, there was always a point in a couple of games, not in every game, but always a point in a couple of games when maybe you were seeing a front and a pressure that you couldn't protect with a certain protection. And there's going to be a time in every quarterback's existence where the coach doesn't have the answer. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, typically, as you guys know, you, you know, let's say you're playing against a team and they haven't shown, we talked about will free safety. They don't have will free safety on, on tape. We haven't seen it. They may have shown it in preseason three seasons ago, but you maybe have a Mike declared protection that everything works strong and you don't have a protection adjustment. You don't have a coach on the sideline to come to go, Hey, here's what I saw. Here's what they did. What do we do next time? There is going to be a, a, a point in time where every coach kind of looks at the guy and is like, uh, I don't know. So what do you do when that situation presents itself? What do you do when you're in a game, you feel like you're prepared, you feel like you have everything nailed down, and then they come in with some weird exotic coverage, some weird exotic pressure that you haven't talked about all week, you haven't been prepped for? How do you handle that situation? I like it. Until the very end, I thought it was a statement. I was waiting for the question. So there it comes Yeah, I was waiting game. to hear what you'd do. I thought, yeah. I thought you were, I thought you were asking me lecture. what my question would be for the quarterback. Yeah, that was a great was, question. Yeah, it was I liked good. it. It was good. Um, what did you, you, no, you we, just don't, just don't block the free safety. You get hit in the chin. That's what happens sometimes, man. That's where your nose gets broken and then you <laughs> yeah. end up on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle, uh, we'll, fellas. Well, dude, thanks for coming on. Um, talking ball. We always appreciate it. And um, yeah, you're, you're officially a, a two-time roomie. There's a small group of you. Um, so it's an honor, Kyle George. Thanks for having me, fellas. Thanks, yeah. dude. Awesome.